So tell me if you can relate. So, um, you know, we have kids, my wife and I, and they, you know, start growing up and they, you know, start going to school and then, uh, you know, they start bringing home homework and, and as they get, you know, older and older, the homework gets more and more complicated. And, you know, you as a parent begin to go, oh, man, what am I doing? Um, I don't remember any of this stuff. But, uh, but, but math, like, it changed, right? Uh, you know, uh, my kids come home and they tell me, you know, when they're in high school and they're telling me, middle school, high school, telling me, hey, we need to do this multiplication problem. What I'm like, no problem, right? You know, I mean, you just start, you know, figuring out your, you know, if you know your multiplication facts, right? You know, your times tables, right? No problem, right? This is boom, you know, you carry this over there and do this kind of stuff. And my kids are like, oh, what are you doing, dad? That's weird. That's not what they showed us in class. I'm like, what? What do you mean that's not, that's how you do math? What are you talking about, right? And they got this new thing where they got these lines and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just like, what is this, right? This is new math, right? Like, who, who started that? What, what was wrong with the old system, right? I mean, seriously. I, I, it's, anyway, whatever. But uh, so new math, right? We, we get this with uh, your God a little bit as well. Because when we get to know God, we find out this weird thing that he is like one, but he's also three. What? What does that mean? How can he be one and three? That doesn't make sense, right? Either he's three or, or he's one, but he can't be both one and three. I mean, that just doesn't make sense. And so this is what we're going to dive into today. Uh, you know, our namesake, Trinity, right? Well, what does this Trinity mean? But before we do, I just want to give you one mention of a book, actually a series of books that have, uh, are helping me in this process. Uh, in uh, you know, when I, I, I only have, you know, just, I'm just, I'm just full, dis, full disclosure here. Okay, I do not have a seminary degree, okay? Uh, so I did not get my master's. Uh, I, I went to a Bible college and got a biblical studies degree. That's it. That's all I got. So uh, when I got done with that, that was great. God allowed me to then work in a church with a guy who also didn't have a master's or seminary degree, but he also didn't even have a Bible study degree, yet he'd been a pastor for 40 some years, right? And so uh, what I learned from him as I was working under him was how to do what's called, you know, self-teaching, right? You know, to, to continue to be a lifelong learner. And he, ha- he was, uh, I would say, uh, of the people that I know personally, he knows scripture and theology better than anybody that I know. I mean, it just, it's amazing. And he never went to Bible college, right? So uh, it's, it's because of his ability to read and consume more and more stuff. And he had like a library in his, like, like a real library in his office, right? I mean, he had this big office library. And he knew, he had read all the books. And matter of fact, he had one of these brains that like when you would say, hey, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. And you go, oh, oh, yeah, I, I read a book about that. And you go into his office and you go, oh, yeah, here it is. And then he'd open it up to the chapter and the paragraph. Oh, yeah, this is what it says here. And I'm like, well, how do you do that, right? Amazing. So, but anyway, by him, he taught me to be a self-learner as well, right? And to continue my whole life, to continue to get to know God better and better and to study more and more. So, one of the things that I did is I, uh, uh, one of the elders in our church, he start, he was, uh, I, you know, he and I just kind of connected pretty early on and became actually very, very good friends and still are friends to this day. And so after I'd been 
been at the church for maybe three or four years, I said, hey, uh, I got a question for you. I says, you know, we get together for these breakfasts about once a month. He says, what, would you be willing to read some theology with me? And he's like, yeah, okay. And so I said, okay, so this is what I got. And I pull out, and I should have brought one of the volumes today, but a four-volume set that literally each volume is like that thick and like that big, four-volume systematic theology set. I said, yeah, we're going to just read through this. What do you think? <laughs> and, you know, praise the Lord, he said yes. Uh, and so what we would do is every time we got together, we would, in between, we would read like three or four chapters. We'd get together and we'd discuss it. But as I did that, I mean, the Lord just revealed so much more to me about who he is and understanding, you know, this, the biblical truths that we have and which is then now being regurgitated to you guys in this series on Genesis. And so the series is, is actually by a guy named Norman Geisler. And it's his systematic theology uh, uh, set. And again, four-volume set. I'd encourage you, because it, it is very readable. You do not have to be like a theologian, a scholar to understand. He, he, he writes in a very readable way. And so encourage you, if you want to go deeper into this, this would be something that you could look at purchasing. Actually, it's out of print right now, but it's supposed to be coming back in print in May or June of this year. Uh, but uh, you can find digital copies out there or used copies if you want as well. So Norman Guy, He's a guy that I'm kind of leaning pretty heavily in as I walk through this uh, series on Genesis, especially as we're talking about uh, the character and attributes of God. All right, so that's all a little bit of setup. So let's talk about God. He's simple and he's one. He's simple and he's one. In Deuteronomy 6.4, I'll just uh, quote it for you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's clear in Scripture, throughout Scripture, that we have a God who is one. And His oneness, His simpleness means two different things. First of all, He is indivisible. He cannot be divided into parts. Okay, so he's not like a pie chart, like, okay, like, you know, you know, two or three percent of him is immutable, and then there's three or four percent of him that's infi- you know, infinite, and there's another ten percent over here that, you know, he's, he's, he, he's you know, uh, transcendent, and then you got a good big chunk, you know, like 50 percent is love, right? You know, I mean, say this is not, this is not how God, this is how he's created, right? This is not who God is. He's, we can't divide him into different parts. Whatever he is, he's all of it. All of him is that. Right? So if he's self-existent, all of him is self-existent. There's no part of him that can stop or cease to exist or, or, or existed before him. Right? If, he's, uh, if, if he's infinite, then all of him, all parts of him, all, of, all that he is, is infinite. There's no part that's not infinite. It's all infinite. If, if he's immutable, then all of him is immutable. So, and again, that means don't, doesn't change, right? So if, it's not just like a, par- a portion of him doesn't change. No, all of him doesn't change. And this is why we looked at last week, you know, the impassibility of God, that he has emotions, but those emotions don't change. He's not emotional, right? And so it's because he, whatever he is, he is all, he, all of him is that thing. He, maybe a logical kind of perspective on this, he, he created, a, a created being is complex. 
And you talk to scientists about, you know, creation, right? And human, even the human body, how complex it is, the things that it can do and just the different makeups. It's amazing. If something is created, it's going to be complex because the creator, whoever created it, will grab a little bit of this and put it in there, a little bit of that. I mean, just think about making cookies, right? You know, you take a little bit, you know, sugar, or maybe a little extra sugar, right? And you take, you know, baking soda or something. I don't know how to make it, whatever, baking powder. Well, I don't know what it is. Anyway, flour, you got a flour in there. Chocolate chips, right? You know, these kind of things. Where's Karen? Yeah, you know how to make them, right? Oh my gosh, you haven't made me in a while. Why not? What's going on? Don't you love me? Uh, anyway, so that's bad. I know. I know. I'm sorry. So he, he's uh, a creator. If if it's if a, if a being is complex, it's been created by something. So if God has pieces, then he can't be self-existent. There's something something else must have caused him. But we know that he is self-existent. He is the uncaused cause, so that means he is not complex. He's simple. He can't be divided into parts. The second aspect of this oneness of God is that he is actually one being. There are not multiple gods. Right? There's not multiple beings out there. In other words, you can only have one. I'm using the word ultimate being. Right? You can only have one ultimate being. One self-existent being, one uh, uncaused cause, one necessary being, one infinite being. You can't have multiples of those. You can only have one of those. You can only have one ultimate being. And as a result, there has to be only one. Now, see, if you, some say, well, maybe there's two, right? What about, it should be two, you know, we can have at least two or more of these ultimate beings. There could be more gods. But two demands difference. If there's going to be two of something, they have to differ from one, each other, one another, right? Because if they're exactly the same, then they're one, right? So logically, we have to understand if, if there's two ultimate beings, at least one of those ultimate beings has to be different or lesser than the other ultimate being, and so thus, they're not the same, right? And so thus, they're not ultimate. One of them is not ultimate, the other one is. If less than ultimate then they're not ultimate. So if the two beings are exactly the same, as I said, then they are one. And this is an understanding of Scripture, that we have a God who is one. You can't have multiple self-existent beings. You can only have one. You can't have multiple infinite beings. You can only have one. Think about infinite, right? If you had one that was infinite and the other that's infinite, well, that means they contain it all, right? This oneness of their unity, their infinite, right? They have it all, well, then, if they both have it all, then they're one, right? You can't, it's, this is a logical kind of extrapolation of our understanding of God. So, God is simple, and he is one, and this is an important truth. But he also is three. And so, how do we do this? So, I, I want, uh, you know, this is an important uh, uh, message in our process of understanding who God is. Because we are moving today from God's essence, in a sense, to a very other important part of his essence, and that is his personhood. The fact that God is also a person. So uh, imagine for a moment, what we've been talking about for God is basically like if you were talking about a friend, right? I mean, you have a friend and you meet somebody and they don't, they, they, that someone you meet doesn't know your friend, but you want to describe your friend to them. 
And so maybe you would start with the physical characteristics. Oh, yeah, my friend, you know, they're you know, like six feet tall, kind of a, you know, a stocky build, you know, uh, you know, white, com- you know white complexion, uh, has brown hair and blue eyes, you know, this kind of stuff. So you talk about the physical appearance of our friend. But then we can also then and talk about another aspect of our friend, and that is who they are personally, their character, right? So we talk about, you know, hey, they're really funny and they, they love sarcasm and, and they have, you know, they're really good, you know, just a person and they, they're a faithful friend and always have been there for. So we begin to talk about their personal attributes as well, right? And so, in essence, what we've been doing so far in our uh, approach to Genesis, especially the last two weeks, and our understanding of who God is, is we've been talking about his physical characteristics. Right? So now, God doesn't have a body, right? We've already been there, so we've got to be careful. God is spirit. He doesn't have a physical body. He has no matter. He's not made up, totally transcendent, totally different from his creation. But imagine for a moment, we've been just talking about his physical attributes. But now, we're going to begin to talk about now his personal attributes. And we're, today kind of starts this transition point. God is one. Again, physical attributes. Now, God is three in one. He has personhood. And so now we begin to talk about, now, here's the key difference between these two, the physical piece and the personal piece. The, the, the key difference is this. The physical pieces that we've been talking about so far, the essence of God, is not transferable. So these are the things that we can't have. Like I said, there can only be one infinite being, only one self-existent being, only one necessary being, only one unimmutable being, right? So these are the things of God that he can't transfer to us. They're just part of his essence of who he is. Like this is his being that we've been talking about. So they're totally untransferable, non-transferable, right? He can't create us. We don't have those things. We do not have self-existence. We do not have immutability. We change all the time. And praise the Lord, actually, it's a gift. Right? We, we do not have, we're not infinite. We're finite. So he, can't, he hasn't given us those things. He can't give us those things. But now that we're beginning to talk about his personal attributes, these are the things that are transferable. Things that he has given us in portions. Right? So he is, and we talked about it a little bit already, but we're going to get in more detail later. God love, right? God is love. So because he's an infinite being, because he is one and he's simple, all of him is love. You can't, you know, there's not one part of him that's not love. All of him is love and he is fully love, right? He's perfectly love. Now we're not perfectly love and we're not wholly love, but we can love. We can enjoy it, experience it, and we can also give it. And so the personal attributes of God are those things that he can transfer to us. And these are important things because, you know, this is how we helped us, you know, this is how we can help to understand who God is. You know, the whole marriage relationship as an image of the relationship of the Godhead and the relationship of how they interact. The reason we can do that is because we're relying on the personal aspects and attributes of God, saying we have some of this, and so we can at least in part understand these pieces. You know, he, so that way we can kind of transfer that to God a little bit. So God must be at least a little bit like this. All right, so does that uh, hope make a little bit of sense as we kind of move into this? This is a transition point. We've talked about God is one right now, but now we're going into his personhood. The fact that God is also a person. So let's read Matthew chapter 3. Start this section off. Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17. This is the baptism of Jesus. 
And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The one God is or has personhood. God is a person. He's not just a thing. He's not just an object, right? He has, and this is so huge, because this is, again, how God is able to interact and relate with us. If God was not a person, then there would be no opportunity for us to interact with God. There'd be no way for us to be able to understand him. He wouldn't be a communicator. He wouldn't be a lover. He wouldn't be you know, someone who is relational. But because God has personhood, we can interact with him and have a, a connection with him. But his personhood includes three distinct persons. So God's essence includes personhood. So all of God is a person, not just part of him, but all of him is personal, right? It has personhood to it. But that personhood exists in three persons. Okay, you know, we've heard these, but sometimes if you think about it, try to think about it logically, it kind of blows our mind. God, uh, so, so let's just look at this briefly. Uh, I just want to look at the kind of, you know, a couple of verses, just going to throw them out there. We're not going to have time to read them all, but you can look them up. And some of them are on uh, the screen already, but there's others that I'll give you as well. We understand this personhood in the sense of this, that all three of these persons in the Godhead are God fully God. They're not just partially God. They are all God. And so we get passages like the God, the Father, Ephesians 4, 6. So the Father is God. We also see in Hebrews 1, verse 3, that Jesus is also God. So he is the Son. And then we also have the Spirit in John 14, 25, and 26. We see that the Spirit is also God. So we have three persons in the personhood of God, and those three persons are all equally God. They're all God. They're not just partial God. There's not a li- each one doesn't have just a little bit of God. They all have all of God. So all of his attributes, all that God is, they are as well. We might be able to understand that, but then there's also this next piece. All three are also distinct from one another. They're also different, but how are they different? And this is key. They're not different in essence, but they're different in relationship. So I wrote, uh, I've got uh, five things here where kind of we see the distinctness of the three. So they are diverse. There's a diversity in the Godhead, in the three in one, in the three uh, persons of God. There's, the, uh, there's diversity of relationships. So you have Father, Son, and Spirit. Diversity of relationship. They have a relationship with one another that's different. There's the Father, and there's the Son, and there's the Spirit. And that relationship is different. There's also a diversity of authority. There's the Sovereign One, the Sent One, and the One who is preceding. 
Okay? So difference of authority. The Father is the one. Remember, Jesus says when he's on earth, right, he says, I do what I see my Father doing. So God the Father, has the, he's the sovereign one. Now, they're all sovereign, but he is in the authority structure of the personhood, right, of God. The God the Father is the one who's kind of in charge. And then he sends the Son. And then the Son and God the Father are the one who also kind of send, or the Spirit proceeds from them, as it says. There's also a diversity of task. There's the pursuer, there's the Savior, and there's the transformer. Pursuer, Savior, transformer. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. There's also a diversity of role. And this would be role in regards to a relationship with His creation. So there's the Father, uh, the prayer in, in, in Matthew chapter 6, right? Our Father is who we're praying to. That he, we, he's our Father as well. So there's a diversity of role. The Father, and then Jesus, who is the friend, calls us his friends. He's our, you know, one, the one who mentors us, right? the one who we walk along, that we follow. And then there's the mentor, the spirit, who works within us to bring about the things that the father and the friend are calling us and leading us into. And then finally, there's a diversity of communication. The voice, the message, and the translation. God the Father is the voice. Jesus is the message. And the Spirit is the one who translates that message into the hearts of men and women. This is laid out in the passage that we started the service off with, Genesis 1, 1 to 3. Notice the Trinity in these first three passages, first three verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we have oneness of God already right at the beginning, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it goes on. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of water. So now we have the first person, or in this essence, the first person mentioned in the Godhead, the Spirit. And then it says, and God said, spoke God the Father. And what did he speak? He spoke the Son. Let there be light. We see the Trinity in this, even in just in verse 3, and God said, so Father said, let there be light, that's the word, and there was light. The Spirit makes the light happen, right? So this is a, a clear teaching of Scripture, that we have in God, first of all, the fact that He is a person. Part of His very essence is that He has personhood. Right? He thinks, he is intelligent, he has will, he has you know, emotions, he, he thinks, you know, he's not emotional, but he does have emotion, he has feelings, right? And, but this God also, who is one, is, has three persons, is three persons. And those three persons, each one of them is fully the essence of God, but also each one of them is diverse from the other, separate. Now, again, our brains have a really hard time just like kind of because we start asking questions. Well, what about this? What about this? What about this? And we start, yeah, this doesn't make sense. And that's okay. Again, the mystery of God. We have to allow for the mystery of God. 
and accept this reality that is clear in Scripture. Now, there's two great heresies in regards to, to uh, the Trinity that I want to just take a couple of minutes on, and then we'll, move, we'll, we'll close out our message here. The two great heresies, and, and, and understand, this is, this is the turning point for Christianity, right? Uh, who you think Jesus is, right? Whether you think God is three in one or not, this is, this is, the, this is, the, this is the big battleground, right? All of the Christian heresies that have come about seems like they all come from right here. Getting this piece wrong, this Trinity piece wrong. And so if you do not accept this as Scripture has revealed, because you begin to extrapolate out and say, this doesn't make sense, and so it must be this, or it must be this, then you are moving into heresy. You just need to know that. But there are, and there's tons of heresies. I'm only going to cover two of the big heresies that we've experienced in, you know, in, in our world over the last you know, two or 3,000 years in trying to figure out who God is in this Trinity piece. The first uh, heresy is that of modalism. And the idea of modalism is that God is one, and so they're going to emphasize one, but there's no diversity. In other words, they look at the three persons of the Godhead as being just the different expressions of, the God, of God, right? The one God, right? So God, sometimes he's as a father, and then other times he comes and he, you know, kind of as the son. And then other times he comes back and then he's, you know, acting as a spirit. So God is actually just one, but there's no real diversity. We just experience him in three different forms. Again, this is a heresy and does not line up with Scripture teaches. Again, we already looked at some of the passages that talk about God's oneness. Also, the reality that each of the individual persons of the Godhead are all considered God. The next big heresy is that is that there is no unity within the Godhead. In other words, all three persons of the Godhead are completely separate. So they're actually three different individuals. They just cooperate together, and this is called tritheism, where, you know, just kind of the idea that, you know, we, we just have, there's actually three gods, and they all have, you know, their different, you know, kind of personalities, but they're not one. They share some similarities and some attributes, but they're not one. Again, we talked about the fact that we can't have three self-existent beings. You can't have three infinite beings. You can't have three of these things. You can only have one. And so, again, this is a heresy. The amazing thing about the Godhead in regards to his personhood is this, that God is the evidence that there can be and there should be and there was created to be unity with diversity. In our world as Christian, the Christian perspective is so often we are trying to make everybody the same. We worship on all, you know, they talk about Sunday morning being the most segregated uh, uh, event or day of the, of the week, right? Because everybody goes to their separate churches where they can worship the way they like, where they can be around the people that are like them, where they can, you know, all the, you know, so there's this segregated Sunday morning because we think that unity comes when we all have the same mindset. Well, we all need to have the same mindset and that Jesus is the one, but we also should have tremendous diversity. There should be ethnic diversity. There should be generational diversity. There should be diversity of uh, theological thoughts on different ways and approaches, you know, whether you're uh, Calvinist or whether you're Arminian or whatever. You know, I mean, that we should be all be able to worship together because this, this is who God is. There's diversity in him, but there's this amazing unity because he is one. All right, so with that, let's uh, move on to uh, just kind of the final point. And what is the importance of the Trinity? Why is this important? 
First of all, it's important because it was staying true to God's word is really important. I mean, this is how God has revealed himself. You know, over the, the, the thousands of years that Scripture was written, a couple, you know, the, the couple of thousand years that it was written, and now a couple thousand years since it was written that we have been reading it, you need to understand the unity of the Scripture, but also understand this is how God has revealed himself to us. And you, you are free to not believe in the Trinity, but you are not free to try to make God's Word say that the Trinity doesn't exist. Because clearly Scripture teaches this reality. We don't understand it. It doesn't fully make sense to us. But this is, it's there. It, it says clearly God is one. But it also says there's God the Father and there's God the Son. and God. What do we do with that? How do we, you know, we see the three of them existing in Matthew chapter 3, right? Jesus is baptized, right? The Spirit comes down and then the, God, and the God, Father speaks, right? So what do we, we, this is what Scripture teaches. So if we are going to be true to God's word, we have to accept this, this perspective, this theology of this attribute of God. But more than that, it's important because if God is more than one, then his self-existence, his transcendence, his infinitude, his immutability, they all get thrown out. If God is more than one, then those things and the important thing, importance of them that we've preached the last two weeks, those start, you just start throwing those out. Now, okay, God's not those things anymore. It's also important because if God doesn't have personhood, there's no way for him to connect with us and relate with us. We have to understand, I'm going I'm to spend a whole message uh, once we get back into this in, in a few weeks on talking about how God is relational, right? And what, that, what does that mean for us? This is huge. We would not know who God is if he wasn't, person, wasn't a person. We have no way of understanding him. If God doesn't exist in three persons, then God is not relational. He's not communicative. He's not loving. And if God, if that kind of God had created, he would have created a robotic and mechanical universe. Not one that's moral and loving and relational. So this, this theology is important. This attribute of God is important. We can't just kind of like, oh, it doesn't really matter. No, it matters. We need to understand how important it is. Worship team, why don't you... Come on up, and we're going to move into communion now. And in communion, I just, I, again, we're just amazed at this God and who he is and what he has done for us. And I was led, as uh, I was preparing uh, yesterday for uh, communion, I was just thinking about this and this importance of the fact that God is three in one and, and how that speaks to us in communion. And, and here's the deal. With communion, this is, a, this is a reminder of this very truth. That God, who is totally transcendent, God who is Infinite God who is self-existent, who is necessary being, sent his son to come and live among us for 30-some years and then to give his life as a ransom for us. The amazing love 
that God had for us and that was communicated on the cross. In Romans chapter 5, familiar verses, I'm sure. just want to read a few, and then we'll go to prayer and uh, partake of the wafer. So prepare that wafer. And sometimes it's difficult as it is right now for me to get that little cellophane thing off the top. Yeah, you got one for me? Sweet, thank you. All right, Romans chapter 5, verses uh, 6 and uh, 6 to 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are three in one. And what that allowed you to do within your oneness and your threeness, that, Lord, you could send your son and that he could willingly come. And that even though we were sinners rebelling against you, and after last week, amazing who you are, the the God that you are, how could we ever rebel? When we understand who you are, We should be on our knees. We should be on our face and worship you. But even in our rebellion of you, Lord, Jesus came and he died. Not because we were good or not because we showed potential, but simply because of his love for us. So, Lord, as we partake of this wafer or this cracker that represents the broken life of Jesus, may you remind us again of that great sacrifice, but also, Lord, may you Ignite our hearts again to trust you, to surrender our whole life to you, that you would be glorified, that we would give you glory with every breath that we breathe. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take together. And as you prepare the cup, I'll read on in Romans chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Heavenly Father, the poured out blood of Jesus washes us clean of our sin. Lord, he he died for our sin, not ours. And his poured out blood, Lord, when we bow our knee to Jesus as Lord, his poured out blood is washed over us and we are white as snow. We are cleansed of all of our sin. What an amazing truth. Thank you. It's amazing grace. We don't deserve it, but we have received it. And with that washing of sin, we also receive life. So Lord, as we partake of this cup, again, just drive home this amazing truth that this blood that Jesus poured out was for our sin, that it cleanses us from our sin, that we no longer have to live with guilt and shame. Instead, Lord, anytime we sin, we forget, we we repent, and we move on knowing that our relationship has not been damaged because you love us. And you've, that, that sin's already been paid for. We just need to continue to turn our life and give it to you. And then we can live out this life you've given us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take together.
Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for who you are. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to uh, be preaching and, and going through Genesis together, Lord, and the realities of who you are that come out in that. Lord, I just ask that you would continue to direct our thoughts. Lord, you continue to stretch us to, even though so much of you is beyond our comprehension, may, may we not give up still striving to comprehend because lord you have given us you are apprehendable we can understand some of you and so lord help us to strive to know those things to recognize that 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 you are a god who loves us who's personal yet you're also a god who's totally transcendent and separate and there's this reality that is there and we just need to know it all and as we know it all lord we come into greater worship of you like Psalm 96, verses 4 to 9. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory. Do His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Have a great day, church.